Please take your Bibles and turn in them to Colossians chapter 3. So we prepare to begin with verse 20. Last week we began a transition from verses 11 to 17, how a Christ-centered, gospel-believing church is to function. Then to this pinnacle verse, verse 17, in this section of commands, that all are to be, everything is to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. And now God has begun to work it out into various areas of our lives, beginning with marriages and God's simple but profoundly important call for wives and husbands that in the gospel, wives see Christ submitting himself sacrificially to learn to submit them themselves within marriage to their husbands. And in the gospel, husbands see Christ incredibly, lovingly, deeply sacrificing himself and learn from that how to love their wives. God's call for both genders, both wife and husband, is to die to self and in order to live and sacrifice and serve one another for the glory of God. Well, today we transition in verses 20 and 21 to God's simple but profoundly important short words to a family that has Christ. So again, title, Christ is All, from verse 11 of Colossians 3, and then how that works out in children, how it works out in parents, and how it works out in a whole family. Incredibly short, crisp words from God. In English, for us, a total of 21 words for how a household, how a family can function in very God-honoring and God-pleasing ways. Humanity, for the large part, out of ignorance or out of arrogance, has ignored, rejected, explained these away, dismissed them, replaced them, revised them to the demise of the family. We certainly see it in our nation but it is around the world, and it is in all of time. So God's words, short as they may be, simple-sounding as they may be, need to dwell richly in us and continue to be the voice that guides us most dominantly in all that we're doing, not looking for the next magic pill parenting strategies or system lest we fall into what chapter 2, verse 8 warned us about. Would you look back at that? The warning there was, see to it that no one, and we could see no parents, are taken captive by, and now four different things that all are circling around the same idea, just worldly philosophy, empty deceit, human tradition, elemental spirits. All of those are just things it says at the end of the verse that are not according to Christ, lest we fall into those. And the point is, let's not parent or have homes as if God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, the wisdom of Christ, His Word, prayerful dependence on Him, and His church are not enough for us to have homes that honor God and that bring great joy. Again, we're at a section that, as I said in the email on Thursday, which came out late Friday because of my memory issues, 
we have a narrower audience, it appears again, of parents, those who are parents, those who are children. But I want to remind you again that the whole church is a family. All of us are in a biological family of some sort, have come out of that, and out of a spiritual family if we have put our trust in Christ. And so God may use this concept not for a literal uh, child of yours or for a little fa literal father or mother or parent, and yet to sanctify you in some ways. So stay tuned even if it doesn't seem to directly apply to you. And then finally, I want to say this at the beginning. It's where we're going to land the plane at the end of the morning as well. But right up front, that we need the gospel when we come to looking at family. We need it even during a sermon on the family. Like we need even while we're listening, particularly if there is sin, particularly if there is a heaviness, that we would bring that to Christ, even in our hearts at the point, at that point. Um, and just a reminder, parents, you need the gospel as much as you think your children do, and maybe more. Uh, so, uh, this week has been uh, a not pleasant week for me in recalling many regrets. So even I have to turn while I preach and leading up to preaching, to Christ, to his precious forgiveness, and his power to overcome all that I didn't do right. Now, this text can discourage. It can. It can take the wind out of your sails because it, in some ways, just seems so hard, uh, perhaps so negative. But I do want to say that I think a strength of our church is the families. You parents... That are doing well you kids that are doing beautifully we're not there yet we're not perfect so we're gonna keep refining and seeking to grow and I pray that's what today thinking through this text will do for all of us that we'll recommit that we will repent where we need to and that we will have a renewed vision for God's plan let's ask the Lord for his help to understand this and to use it Lord, again, as we come to these words, these 21 words in Colossians 3, we believe wholeheartedly that they were breathed out by you through the Apostle Paul in order to teach us 2,000 years later that they are immensely profitable for us spiritually, that they are meant by you to reprove and correct and to train us in righteousness so that our hearts and lives are ever more purified and formed into your image. So please use these words to equip us fully for every good work in Christ Jesus. May we, as Jeremiah put it, truly experience, when your words came to me, I ate them. They were my joy. And they are my heart's delight. We ask in your name. Amen. And keep me from crying. Verse 20, verse part A, children. Start with just that. They're the first ones addressed by God here. And basically mean that, in, that set of individuals within the church or within Christianity who are old enough to understand but are still living in dependence on their parents. Now it's kind of remarkable 
Even though there aren't a lot of verses that address children, it's remarkable there are any in the context in which Paul was writing in this day. I'm told that uh, the Roman law had a what's called the, the power of the father section in which a father was given permission to basically do whatever he wanted with his children. They were his, and he could sell them. He could make them slaves. He could let them die. Lots and lots of terrifying power in that. But Jesus coming uh, showed, and so does Psalm 78, and Jesus coming showed that there is a special place in the heart of God for children. And here, God takes time to include you all in those instructions. So all of you in that category of children, uh, this is a note for you, that you are not let off the hook as God lays out these tremendously challenging commands, that just like Adam and Eve, you may only have one, obey, and in Ephesians 6, 4, honor, incredibly simple, but as with Adam and Eve, that's what you need to focus on obeying and keeping and living by. Mom and dad bear a great weight for responsibility in the home, but you do too. You do too. God will not overlook your disobedience and just excuse it as, oh, they're young. You may get straight A's, you may be the hardworking, successful athlete, musician, actor, actress, whatever. You may be the nicest kid anybody's ever met. But willful disobedience to your parents, perhaps behind closed doors, will not only affect all the days of your life here on earth, but will affect your eternal destiny if you are not in Christ. So, God's charge to you is obey your parents in everything. I want to start by just emphasizing not to think too much about external compliance to rules as the way that you define or think of obey. It's really addressing a way of life that isn't only about compliance, but is really about internal heart attitude. The idea of obey means to listen under. So willingly put yourself under the tutelage, here God says, of your parents, and to listen. That's where obedience begins. Listening, hearing, taking in the instruction, the example that's before you, the discipline that may come along with that, the other things that flow out of that. So think of it as follow the whole life instruction your parents are giving you. And in contrast to that, we could say, rather than following your own heart and your sense of what is right, or friends, or peers, or other voices in the world, and we live in a culture where Satan has refined that to be incredibly alluring, seductive and powerful visual and verbal influencers but god counters that in one way with the book of proverbs like the book of proverbs is the the main point is this idea even though only one time is the english word obey in proverbs 
and it's in chapter 30. So, are there other allusions to obedience? Yes, keeping his commands and all of that. But it begins with, and just notice this from early in the book, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, which is first seven verses are introduction, and then the first instructions that come out to the youth, to the young, to children is hear, listen. Father's instruction, your mother's teaching, and don't forsake them. And then right away, God says, they will be a graceful garland to your head, which if you take too literally does not sound good. Not alluring. Pendants for your neck. But this is God's way to say, the way you will navigate through life, will, these things will adorn you. They will beautify your life if you will truly bring them in and not forsake them. Proverbs 4 has more on for sake of time. I'm going to keep moving. Proverbs 6, maybe most vividly here. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Just tie them in so they can't be separated out from your heart and its affections. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they'll lead you. When you lie down, they'll watch over you. When you're awake, they'll talk to you. Isn't that a great word picture? They'll talk to you. They'll guide you through all of life. One of the great gifts that parents give their children is not the financial things and not the successful things and not even the, the, all the other parameters that we think of, but the gift of instruction about the Lord and his ways that helps them navigate life wisely and pleasing to God. Matt Smethurst put it this way. Biblical obedience is not about keeping an arbitrary set of rules. It's about living in accordance with our design, in harmony with our maker. Because he wants us to flourish, he restricts us in order to truly free us. He prohibits us to drive us toward what is good. He lays boundaries with hands of love. Now, Old Covenant, Old Testament, some of the warnings about disobedient children are terrifying. And it's good for us just for a moment or two to hear this and then to thank God for his incredible grace in Christ Jesus that frees us from this law. But in Proverbs 30, there is the warning, and here's where the word obey shows up. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. Not a particularly promising thing. But what a contrast to Ephesians 6.4. In Deuteronomy, it gets even stronger that the parents actually give a child over to capital punishment if he is stubborn and rebellious and will not listen to them. When you move into the New Covenant, into the New Testament... We don't see those threats and warnings, but we see a couple of passages that make this vividly clear. In Romans 1 and in 2 Timothy 3, which both are passages that have long lists of sins and evils. In Romans 1, it's talking about how God gives sinners over to do whatever their debased, perverted minds want to be done. And so they fill their lives with all of these things, and one of those traits is disobedience to parents. In 2 Timothy, Paul's writing about the last days and the evidences of that, and lots of descriptions again, and in there again, intentionally included is 
a mark of the evil, a mark of pagans, a mark of people who don't have Christ is no regard to obey their parents. So all of that is a context for Colossians 3.20 of obeying your parents, children, and everything. Parents are God's number one authority given to you and are not to be minimized or replaced. Uh, And they are the means by which God has, as we see in Psalm 78, appointed for you to learn about him, for you to believe in him and be saved by him, and for you to live your life according to his ways. You're not to make your own judgment calls about whether you'll do certain things or not. The in everything is a way to simply say, don't obey them where it's easy, and then choose to disobey where it gets harder or where you don't agree with them. So, obedience, again, is at the heart of Christianity. All Christ followers are to obey. Parents, this is good for us, that obedience in our lives to whatever authorities God puts over us is just as important as our children's obedience or listening to and following our ways. Too often, parents have a standard for themselves and a standard for their kids that doesn't match. So, first and foremost, submission and obedience to the Lord and His Word And Jesus just parsed this out even to show how faith and the work of obedience are so tied together that he contrasts believing in the Son and having an eternal life with disobeying the Son and therefore having the wrath of God. So it's under the authority of God. Life must also be lived under all kinds of other human authorities. Life on earth is about being under authority And the quality of our lives is often shaped by how our obedience to those authorities or our listening to and following through with them and their instruction goes. So children, God has intentionally and purposefully given you the exact parents, put you into the exact family that he wants you in. There's no mismatches. There's no uh-ohs, too late. Shouldn't have done that one. This is all sovereignly by God, and they are the ones you are to follow toward God. They are responsible to teach you how to know God, trust God, believe wholly in Him, love Him, fear Him, serve Him, honor Him, and obey Him. Are they going to raise you perfectly? Oh, no. No, 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 no. But are they seeking by God's word and his will to do what's best and wisest for you. May parents be faithful to seek that out, and may God help the children to live that out. This, we're told at the end of verse 20, pleases the Lord. God loves this. We can see its design in Psalm 78 from generation to generation to generation. This is the same kind of language, strikingly, that God even used, if we can go to the next slide, about the announcement of Jesus at the baptism and then a couple other times in his ministry years, God would pronounce, this is my beloved son, world, with whom I am well pleased. So if Jesus as a son seeks to be pleasing to his father and pleases him, so we also have both that calling but also that incredible blessing. It pleases the Lord when when children learn obedience to be a blessing to their parents, to be a blessing to their church, to be a blessing to the society, 
to be a blessing to God in his name, verse 17, and they are personally blessed as we see in the fourth commandment, as we also see it repeated in Ephesians 6. Just quick trivia, it's not trivia, quick side point, but just to note that in Ephesians 6, 1, the other place that children are addressed, just a couple of pages over in your Bible, slightly different words, emphasizing slightly different things, but still under the same concept. So instead of saying, obey your parents in everything, children, you're called here to obey your parents in the Lord, which is a great way of helping you see this isn't just about obeying a human mom and dad. This is about obeying my God. And then instead of saying this is pleases the Lord, he just pronounces this is right. Uh, and uh, it is part of God's design and will and plan. And you're not the exception to that. All right. Transition now to verse 21. Second member of the family address seems to be fathers. Now I'm told here that this word can be translated and is translated elsewhere in the New Testament as parents. So I think it's right to also think fathers and mothers here. Mothers can just as easily provoke their children. They may not seem as loud and noisy in doing some of those things. It may be more subtle. They can be incredibly crafty, but it's really doing the same thing to the spirit of a child. But the ESV, the NASB, the New King James, and the NIV all translate this consistently, fathers. Probably, we can only hypothesize here, because father or men are by temperament are often given more to unkindness, perhaps because an earthly father is so important in helping shape or should be in shaping a child's perception of God. And third, perhaps because God is highlighting not just the importance of a father in the home, which is the way the society often looks at it, but the importance of a gospel-believing, spirit-controlled, word-loving, Christ-loving father. Now, we might expect the command to be somewhat like verse 19 with husbands, just a, a do command of love your children or teach your children, and Ephesians 6, 4 does that, or nurture your children. But here, God doesn't give a do command, a positive thing. He goes immediately and only to a, what we would call a negative thing, a do not command. The warning is, in all the ways that you are fathering, make sure that you're not provoking your children. The New American Standard says exasperate. The NIV says embitter. And it's the idea of stirring up angst in their spirit, antagonizing, could be by your demeanor, your body language, your tone of voice, your rule setting, your attitudes, all of those things, your words, that you are not to be the source, the cause that brings about sinful frustration in their lives. The idea also is don't break and deflate their spirits simply by your demands of obedience to your rules or instruction, to so beat them down with that. Sam Storms, this is crucial. An overly obsessive and exacting posture in parenting leads to emotional and spiritual irritation in the child. Faced daily with this harshness, children 
often simply give up. So God's point here is don't fail to study your child, to understand your child, the heart of your child. And then react to them and treat them in the understanding of Christ and in the understanding of that child. So they are not discouraged, or the New Americans said so they do not lose heart. So they do not become listless, despairing, unhappy, joyless. Even though they may be obedient on the outside, their spirits inside are withered and deflated. Now, always want to try and be practical to think this out. So we're going to circle around it, but it's going to be fast. Don't try to write them down. Um, my goal is to go faster than you can write. Really, it's just I went for quantity here over quality. All of these are not always automatically provoking your children. Let's not put that broad of a sweep on them. And lots of them probably overlap, but tried to use different words and different concepts to try to uh, bring that. But would you, for these next few slides, particularly fathers, though I think mothers fall within this as well, but even also all of you who may someday, if it is God's will, be parents for you to just consider and may it shape and mold even now the way that you think about parenting. So first of all, from a Q&A thing with John Piper, he listed these uh, as eight ways that he sees the provoking, the potential provoking of children. Nagging, or I'll add to that, nitpicking. Being demanding, getting angry. Always resorting to the rod. That's just your answer for everything. Embarrassing the child in front of others. Belittling and calling him or her names. Requiring the impossible and withholding forgiveness. And on this last point, Piper goes on and says, perhaps most important, don't try to get obedience without creating an atmosphere of gospel forgiveness. I love those two words together. Without this, the child doesn't know what to do with his sins, which he knows he commits. Every command or every disobedience starts to feel like a potential digging of a deeper hole of guilt. So dad, you must speak the gospel, teach the gospel, so your child understands how the blood of Jesus gives forgiveness and life and relief. And you must embody the gospel in your own confession of sin, often to your children, and your own offer of forgiveness. And I would just add as a note here to children, because it's so pertinent to our day and age, it's critical also that you forgive your parents for their sins against you. There will be many. Perhaps no one will sin more against you in your early years than your parents. But in Christ, you can forgive them because Christ has forgiven you. But without Christ, the inability to forgive fully and in his blood can be crushing. Here's what John MacArthur listed in a sermon as his ten ways of provoking. Overprotection, or just not trusting them to be independent of you. Favoritism, unrealistic expectations, overindulgence, discouragement, failure to sacrifice, and making your child feel like they're an intrusion in your life. 
failure to admit mistakes, neglect, verbal abuse, physical abuse. And then here's my list from my own sins. Should have told my kids not to come today. <laughs> Running your home with an iron fist, being over controlling, overbearing. And there is a fine line of having the disciplines and the structure and the health, but stepping over that. Being insensitive to their spirit and not really listening to them or trying to understand them. Being far more negative than positive and unrealistic often in those things. Nothing's ever good enough. Manipulating them. Lots and lots of threats and warnings to them. Lecturing them. Making your love or the showing of it conditional and performance-based. Taunting them. I think some of these are in a different order, but you'll get the idea. Making fun of them. Laughing at them. Laughing about them to others. Sarcasm. Publicizing their sins. Comparing them to others. Giving them far more attention when they're in trouble than when they do well. Lack of affection or just being cold and unaffectionate. Not liking to touch. Expecting and requiring more of your child than you expected yourself. Taking your frustration out from other circumstances in your life on your children. Not explaining the why of your doing or not doing something. Being discipline heavy or discipline light. Inconsistency and unpredictability. Rigidly trying to follow a human parenting system more than walk in the spirit with that child. Belittling them and treating them as if they are lower or less in God's eyes than you are. Acting as if every matter is a hill to die on. Thought of two more this morning, might as well throw them in for free. You make parenting largely about you and how others look at you. And you constantly bring up the past mistakes. God has a tender heart toward us. We just sang about it. But he has a particularly tender heart toward women and toward children. Particularly women and children who are mistreated by the very men God has given to protect them. He doesn't want them mistreated by anybody, but especially not by their parents. In Matthew 18, same passage where Jesus talks about the faith of a child as how you enter into the kingdom of God. He also taught a couple of other things about children in general, not necessarily parentally, but it certainly applies. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world. That means any way in which temptation for a child to sin comes into their lives, especially if it's the parents. It's necessary temptations come, but woe to the one by whom they come. So with our wives, men, fragile, handle with care. So fragile, far more than we realize. And with our children, men, fragile, handle with care. Homes with no father suffer. Homes with a largely absent father suffer. But sometimes the homes that suffer the most are the ones with a father there or a mother there who keeps hurting their kids.
in some way. <clears throat> we finish this section on parents and move to a conclusion with these two quotes. First by J.C. Ryle. Love should be the silver thread that runs through all of our conduct, particularly in the home. Kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, patience, forbearance, sympathy, a willingness to enter into childish troubles, a readiness to take part in childish joys. These are the cords by which a child may be led most easily. These are the clues you must follow if you would find the way to his heart or her heart. And then from John Piper, the happiest and holiest children are the children whose fathers succeed in winning both their tender affection and their reverential and loving fear. And they are the children who will come to understand most easily the mystery of the fatherhood of God. Long conclusion, don't get your hopes up too much. We're going to circle the airport a few times before we land. First of all, I just want to do what we did last week, and that is make sure that we don't divorce verses 18 and on from 11 through 16, and particularly verse 17, that God has intentionally put them in this structure in this order. So God's design is for the church to play an invaluable role. Last week we said in Christian marriages, this week we say in Christian families and homes. Again, Beth and I don't know where our family would be without the church. Like it is instrumental in healthy families. Same five reasons I gave you last week. Nothing new here unless you weren't here last week or were daydreaming during this part. The church is the one, and it's not the only one that bases things on the word of Christ, but the word of Christ is central in the church. It is the pillar and buttress of truth, and it is the means by which the family is, should be most clearly taught the truth and what is fitting when there's a thousand other voices and all kinds of false teachings and all kinds of bad teaching and all kinds of other things out there. Again, just think Colossians 2.8. How do we guard against things not according to Christ that sound really good in the fluffy world to what Christ says and calls for? And it protects us against heading down all kinds of parenting or children routes, family routes that are not healthy and pleasing to God. Secondly, the examples that you get to see here and learn from, and I know many of you here uh, rely on those with each other and bounce lots of things off each other, and that's point three. The wisdom and the counsel, here's what we did when our kid was doing this, here's how we're handling this. For kids even to be able to share, this is how I learned to just love my father through that or whatever it might be. Then we're watching each other, we're guiding each other, we're encouraging each other, we're perhaps confronting each other when needed so that hopefully the fifth point doesn't come into play but that we're committed to also discipline those who stray from that in order to do what is right in their own eyes. We're not safe as our own family practitioners. Secondly, I want to really connect this piece, the family piece, to the church. So we're going to go back to verse 12 particularly and work our way through verse 14 and just try to tie all of this together. Actually, we go all the way through 17. So, as each member of a church body, verse 12, is to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ and manifest his compassion, his kindness, or as we just sang this morning, his loving kindness, humility, meekness, patience 
So each parent in a home is, and so each child in a home, particularly who is in Christ. Verse 13, just as every member of a church body must bear with all the others, so every member of a family, probably even more intensely, more challengingly, more faithfully, with each member of the family. Sometimes it's the siblings that are the biggest issue. Verse 13b, just as each member of a church body is to forgive each other, so in a family it's so critical that the family be forgiving of each other. And 14th, just as the most important facet of a church being knit together in perfect harmony, so a family is knit together by God's love, a divine love, a supernatural love, a sacrificial love, that binds us all together in perfect harmony. So the same foundation for the church is the foundation for the home as well. And now let's circle around this concept from 3.11 of Christ is all. Just as I said last week, it's possible to do marriage Christless. It's possible to do family crisis, Christless, without Christ, apart from Christ. Just doing it on your own wisdom and doing it on your own efforts and doing it on your own principles. A couple or a family can find a level of happiness there. But the more preeminent Christ is in the home, in the parents, and in each of the children, the greater the joy in the home, the more that family brings glory to God. Now back to verse 15. The more the peace of Christ rules in a home. Verse 16. The more the word of Christ dwells richly in each heart in the home. Verse 17. The more the name of the Christ is what a family is about and desiring to to do with their lives, the greater the joy in the family and the greater that that family brings glory to God. May it be vividly clear in our homes that Christ permeates them. And now we're landing. Let me start with the, the first of three thoughts here. If you're trying to be a good child or you're trying to be a good parent, but not wholly, completely devoted to Christ, in Christ, relying on Christ, and seeing Christ as your hope, you ultimately are condemned. Even if your family turns out to be the goat, the greatest of all time, you will have fallen so short of the glory of God that it will condemn you. Just from family alone, if we think about no other aspect of our sinning, Just from family alone, you can see the gospel is absolutely central and critical. If just for that reason, you can see that you cannot perfectly obey God. This is why Christ came, why he perfectly obeyed his parents and loved people and died for them and paid that penalty. So again, every Sunday we put in the bulletin the gospel. And we title it, Meditate on the Gospel, because it's always central. But it's also possible you children have been here every day of your life and never trusted the gospel to be born again and saved. You're trying so hard to be a good kid or to just simply get through your home life, but you're not, you haven't come into Christ and found Christ and don't have Christ in you. But for parents as well, it's very easy to just fall into try harder, and, not, and fail to really ever surrender yourself completely to the mercy of Christ and what his blood, blood has done. So please, let the gospel truth penetrate in. Every child needs Christ. 
personally in faith with him in repentance. Every parent does. Every non-child and parent does. And then in closing, every child so desperately needs Christ every day. A couple of quick thoughts. You will not enter the kingdom of God by your parents' faith and obedience. And secondly, you don't just come to Jesus once and it's a done deal and you're saved and you're good and you check that off. You come to Jesus every single day of your life, every hour of your life, crying out for his help. Children find their perfect example in Jesus and in the gospel. Luke 2 shows us that in obeying human parents, but also Hebrews 5 in obedience to his own father. In the gospel, for every disobedience you children will find a sweet forgiveness by believing in Christ, confessing your sins to him and perhaps to your parents and perhaps to your siblings and repenting by God's grace. And this is where I added the Bob Coughlin quote, sorry. It's not in my notes. But regardless of how good you look on the outside, you are in need of a savior. And regardless of how bad you are, whether that's external or internal, you are not beyond the grace of a savior. And the only one who can save you and all of that is Jesus Christ. It's in Christ, finally, for children, particularly in his death and resurrection, where you will find the strength and the power to daily live out what God has charged you with here in Colossians 3. And to parents, very, very similarly, every parent needs the gospel every day, every hour of every day. You may not have had a great earthly father to learn from, and you may have had a great earthly father. But that is not what defines and drives your parenting. Your heavenly father, your Abba, does. John is just stunned in 1 John 3. Um, and notice that he doesn't even relate it just to Christ here. He's talking about within the whole scope. But what, what kind of love? Or I think the NIV translates it, how great a love the Father has lavished on us. So parents, you are a child far more than you are a parent if you're in Christ. You are Christ's child. You are the Father's child. So see, look at, and behold the glory of your Father's love for you, his loving kindness toward you. Look and see and behold the glory of how patient your Father is and that he never provokes you. Look at and see and behold the glory of how he encourages you rather than discourages you. And pray daily for God to make you more like he is through his son. And then parents, for every failure, so many, you find the sweet forgiveness by believing in Christ and in the good news of what he has done, confessing your many disobediences and failures to him and seeking by his grace to repent and walk in the strength and the power to live out his charge to you. All of you who are parents, all of you who are children, may all of you increasingly find Christ to be your all. We close with a David Mathis quote. Christian parenting aims for higher than competent, seemingly healthy adults. Christian parenting aims in everything to teach our children Christ. We want them to, and here Mathis uses a line from Galatians 4, I think. 
learn Christ. Our parental training is training in Christ. And our parental counseling, however encouraging or corrective, is counsel in Christ. In him and through him and for him is all Christian parenting. Father, we ask that you will soak these truths deeper into us in whatever ways that you desire each of us to now put them into practice, to live them out. I pray for the hundred or thirty-some children and has been reminding us of the coming generations of grandchildren and great-grandchildren that grow in even greater numbers than that. God, may this be a source for decades and centuries where Christ is taught and upheld and where families raise up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord for your glory. I pray for our children that you will guard them against the evils of the world against the evils of the evil one and the spiritual forces of darkness that are after their very souls, and that you will give them unflinching focus on Jesus and an ever-increasing love, trust, and obedience in him. And for our parents, that you will continue to fill them with your spirit, with your power, with your presence, with your wisdom, with all of the qualities of Christ that will make us the kind of parents we all want to be but keep failing to be. Help us, oh God. Help our families work in this church for your glory's sake. Through that we pray. Amen.